So uh, we're in a series called uh, Created to Be. We're looking at uh, our identity as creations of God. You know, and last week we kind of looked at what it meant to be created in the image of God, and the image and likeness of God. We looked at Genesis. And today we're going to be talking about um, what it means to be in Christ. Now, um, Charles Spurgeon once said, There is no joy in this world like union with Christ. The more we can feel it, the happier we are. There is no joy in this world like union with Christ. The more we feel it, the more we can feel it, the happier we are. Okay, now think about that for a second. Because that flies in the face of many other things that you will hear, probably many things that you have heard throughout the week from your friends or your parents or the world in general, things in the media, things you see on your feed all the time. It's crazy how, you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, what you would see is like you would drive, you know, I'd drive from like Orange County to LA and I'd see, you know, like a couple dozen billboards. That's what I would, you know, you'd see billboards out there, right? And there's these advertisements for like a, I don't know, like a lawyer or, you know, or like some, some, some place, some store or something, some food, right? But now it's like there's billboards in your face constantly all the time, right? Stuff that's telling you nonstop what's going to make you happy. You are being bombarded with that. In fact, it's probably what you think about the most. What's going to make me happy? What is, how am I going to be happy? Like in my life, how am I going to be happy this year? How am I going to be happy this month? How am I going to be happy today? How am I going to be happy in the next five minutes? And Spurgeon says, there's nothing in this world that's like union with Christ. Nothing. There's no joy like it. The, the more you get into that, the deeper you get into that, the happier you're going to be. Do you realize how many things he is speaking against when he says that? Every other thing that you think is going to make you the happiest right now is not going to make you as happy as feeling, as understanding, as getting deeper in your union with Christ. Now, the idea of being in Christ, this message kind of took, it was crazy this week because I was trying to figure it out. Uh, but the idea of union with Christ is actually a huge theological idea, right? It's not exactly like some of the other things that we talk about, you know, like, a, like, like justification, you know, which is us being like our debt, our what we owe to God, the legal kind of debt that we owe, the transgression, that that being paid by Jesus. Like, that's a, that's a very specific kind of theological term. But union with Christ isn't quite like something like that, because it's this big idea. And if you go to your Bible and you look for kind of just in Christ, because th that's what refers to union with, or being united to Christ, or being united with Christ, or being united in Christ, or being in Christ, or Christ being in you, that idea, there are many passages, you know, you'll find like 50 plus passages that talk about, 
that. And then there's all these other passages that might not use those exact terms, but refer to the same idea. And so it's this huge thing, but it's something that I wanted to talk about because of what Spurgeon says, because connecting to that idea is crucial to us, like being happy in our Christianity, like experiencing the joy of Christianity. Now, here's the thing, okay, that we have to understand. If you've been churched, you might not get this well. But Christianity is more, it's supposed to be more than the sum of its parts. Do you guys know what I mean by that? So it's supposed to be more than a bunch of stuff, like a bunch of parts that you add to your life. So like reading the Bible and then praying and then giving and then missions, evangelism, like having a purpose, like all these things, right? Those are parts of Christianity. And sometimes we think to be a Christian is to add up all those parts and put them in my life. But the experience of that sucks Right? Like it doesn't add up to what all the parts are supposed to add up to a lot of times. Right? If you just take the parts individually and you say, well, there's this and there's this and there's this and there's this. And if I add all these things to my life, the Bible tells me that I'm supposed to be happy. A lot of times the parts don't add up to the sum of them. Like some, the, the math has broken down somewhere. And a lot of times, you know, not only is it just, it's not supposed to be equal but it's certainly not supposed to feel like less. Like a lot of times you feel like you're putting more into it than you're getting out of it. And that's not supposed to be the case. Christianity is supposed to be more than the sum of its parts. So to be Christian, to have this connectedness to Jesus, is supposed to be more than what I feel like I'm putting into each of those things, like reading the Bible and praying and going to church and serving and doing evangelism and, and mission and all these things. It's supposed to be like, wow, like what I get out of this is so much more than what I feel like the effort is required to do all of those things. But for some reason, we feel like we're lacking in that. And part of the lack that we feel in Christianity is that it's not meant to be that. Like, you can reduce Christianity down real simple to just Jesus. It's really just being connected to Jesus. That's what union with Christ references, but it talks about all those other things. It talks about justification. It talks about sanctification. You know, it talks about what's going to happen in the end. It talks about our future. It talks about being adopted. It talks about, like, all these different parts of what it means to be with Jesus or in Jesus. But the reason it's all united under this idea of being in Jesus, in Christ, is because that's the core part of it. And sometimes that's the part that we miss. Now, to define union in Christ, because I wanted to do it because I don't want to just, like, make it super vague, because it's hard to talk about this big theological idea without having some definition. Now, I'm going to give you a really general definition, basically, that I stole from John Piper. And then we're going to talk about something kind of a more specific aspect of it today that I hope we will grasp. But this is how Piper defines union with Christ. He says, It is the reality of all the ways that the Bible pictures our human connectedness to Christ in which he is indispensable for every good we enjoy. I'll say it one more time. It is the reality 
of all the ways that the Bible pictures our human connectedness to Christ in which he is indispensable for every good we enjoy. That's, that's what it means to be united with Christ, to be in Christ. Now, we're going to talk about just kind of one specific aspect of it, because as I tried to tackle that idea, that was way too much. That could be a sermon series that lasts like three years. Because I'm just going to talk about one, and you know, nobody wants that, right? Myself included. So what we're going to just talk, it's like one specific aspect of it, which is what does it mean to be new in Christ? What does it mean to be new in Christ? Because I think this gets at some of the heart of what I think we're missing. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And so if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to Romans 6. Romans 6. And um, just as you're turning there, I will share one of the things that John Piper said that I thought was awesome was because it was, I, I found it on a, you know, John Piper has an Ask John Piper podcast. And so, you know, people will like ask stuff. And, and one of the guys asked, what's union with Christ? And that's where that definition came from. But one of the things he said was, rather than me define it for you, he does at the end, but throughout the whole thing, he was saying, if you went into your Bible and you basically used a concordance, <laughs> which is like a, like nobody uses stuff like that anymore, but it's basically like a, you know, it's a, it's a reference uh, book for the Bible, right? And looked up like in Christ and tried to, and looked at all those passages and basically just did devotional time on those passages. He said, like, what you got out of it would be so much greater than this definition. You know, like if you actually looked and spent time in those and meditated on it, it's like, man, what does it mean that, you know, I'm justified in Christ and you've actually studied it and, and, and kind of just spent time there. Like that experience that you got from that would be so much greater than just this. So, I mean, just because we're talking about this, I would, I would encourage you, like, like that's the kind of stuff that comes out of the word when we, when we do that. You know, do that, right? Don't just take my word for it or somebody's word, anybody's. But, like, get in there and do that yourself. I would totally encourage you to do that. Um, but that's just kind of a, a side thing. Romans 6. If you're there, Romans 6, um, 1. Oh. It's up here if you don't, if you don't have it. Uh, Romans 6, 1. It says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Okay, I only have two pretty simple points today. And the first point is this. You are completely new in Christ. You are completely new in Christ. Now, to real quick track the argument through Romans. Romans 1, Paul talks about the great problem of sin. And that's sin because sin's in the world, because there's general revelation. People know that there's a God out there, that some kind of God exists, but we deny it 
to justify our worship of creation. To, so to go after the things that we want, we deny worshiping the creator, and then we worship creation. You know, created things, animals, leads us into all kinds of uh, perversions. And by perversion, I just mean that we twist God's original intention for things. Right? We twist it to benefit ourselves, and it leads us into all kinds of sin, which is rebellion against God, saying, God, I don't want you to be in charge. I want to be in charge. That creates a huge problem. And Paul says, you know, for the Jews, he, he speaks to the Jews, and he's like, for the Jews, the law doesn't solve that problem. Right? So they think, you know, the Jews, some Jews historically thought, well, if I keep the law, then I can solve the problem of sin. But he kind of, he makes this argument like that, no, that doesn't, it doesn't matter, Right? Law's not going to solve that problem. For Gentiles, you know, not having the law or ignorance to the law also is not going to solve the problem. Everybody is guilty of sin. And so the only true solution to sin is Jesus, right? Sin came through Adam. Salvation comes through Jesus, you know, the new Adam. And Jesus comes. He becomes a man. You know, he's fully God, becomes a man does what we cannot do, is righteous in the way we cannot be righteous, pays for the penalty that we deserve. He dies, he's crucified, substitutionary, it's, it's for us. And then he's resurrected from the dead. And our faith in him, in that sacrifice, in what Jesus has done, is the only thing that can save us. Right? The wages of sin is death. Gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the only way. It's only by grace. It's only by God demonstrating his love for us in this, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the only way. Now, that's kind of what Paul goes through the first five chapters of Romans. And then in chapter 6, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So if Jesus solves the problem of sin, then why should we care whether we sin or not? That's Paul's question now. If it's really all about grace, then why does it matter if I sin? Or should I just sin even more? Because if I sin, God's grace covers it, and so it makes God's grace bigger. You see what, what's happening, right? This is the kind of uh, classic, you know, license argument, basically. That, like this liber- liberty argument, Libertarian, but not politically, um, you know, uh, theologically libertarian argument. Like, hey, I'm free, right? Like, I'm free from law. I'm free from sin. So why can't I just do whatever I want? Because God's going to cover it anyway. (coughs) And Paul doesn't say what many Christians sometimes say, which is, whoa, be careful. That's a slippery slope. That's not what Paul says. Paul doesn't say, hey, that's dangerous. Don't do that. He says, dude, that doesn't make sense. It's like, what? You died to sin. How can you live in it now? See, his argument is that your identity, your core identity has so shifted if you're in Christ. You're not that anymore. That's who you were. But why would you go back to that? The implication is, it's so much better to be in Jesus. Why would you look back and think, oh, man, but I can't do this stuff? 
right? You've undergone this crazy metamorphosis, right? Like, it, you know, it just makes no sense. It's like a butterfly wanting to be a caterpillar again. Like, I want to go back and crawl like a caterpillar. It's like, why would you do that when you went through the whole thing, right? You went through the whole stages of metamorphosis, and then now you're like this beautiful butterfly, and you could fly, which seems like it's better than crawling really slowly like caterpillars do. But, like, if you're on the ground and you're crawling like a caterpillar, but you're a butterfly, that seems stupid, and that's Paul's argument. Like, that seems stupid. Why would you care? Why would you want to go back to that? Don't you know? And then he speaks of baptism. He's like, don't you know that if you've been baptized, what that is symbolic of? That you died. You, your old self is buried with Jesus in the water. Your new self, you are reborn. You go through this rebirth you know, we call it regeneration. That's a theo- another theological term that we talk about, that God has given you like a new heart. If you're in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's not a small change. It's not adding new parts to your life. It is a complete transformation. Remember Jesus and Nicodemus, John 3? He says, how can anyone... You, you know, you, you can't, well, Jesus says you can't follow God. You can't be a, a Christian, essentially. Those aren't the terms he uses, but he says, unless you're born again. You have to be reborn. Now, when a baby is born, you know, I have two kids, right? So I've been through this process twice. Many, you know, we've been having babies, you know, more recently. Uh, in the past couple of years, like many babies. So all of you guys also have some understanding of this, right? At least seeing a child, a very young child in development. But I, it's like really crazy going through the day-to-day process, right? Because you get pregnant, you get pregnant. I didn't get pregnant, but, you know, Boomy got pregnant. And then you go through the whole, pro- like you go to the doctor and you see the first like ultrasound, and you're like, that's it? It's just a little, like, it's just a little blob on this piece of paper. Like, that's what it is. It's just this little thing, like a little peanut. That's what it looks like. And that, it's life. There wasn't life, and then all of a sudden there is life. That alone, <laughs> like, if I weren't a Christian, that alone, in that moment, I would be like, there's definitely God. Because what the heck is this? Now, and then, it, you know, you go through the whole, all the development, and they tell you, it's like, they got fingernails now, like, they can feel things. You see them develop in there, even in the womb. And maybe this is just projection, right? But then you see them doing things, you're like, I do that, right? Like, look at that. He's putting his arm up, you know, in a weird way, and like, sleeping like that. Like, that's how I sleep. And then they're born. And do you know what's fascinating about being part of the life of a newborn child? Is that from the moment they're born... Every single time they do something is the first time they've done it. Can you believe that? Like, think about that. The first time he blinks is the first time in his life that he ever blinked, and I witnessed that. The first time they make a little face, you know, they're like, ooh, they like make this face. You're like, oh my God, like that was amazing. Did you see that? He stuck his tongue out, he made a fist. Right, because those are the things you start. There are these milestones, right? They touch their fingers together. Wow, that is amazing. See, when you guys see it, you're like, 
what is that? Like, who cares, right? That's not a big deal. But when it's the, like, when you understand, that's the first time in their life that they've ever done that. That is the first step he has ever taken in his entire life. That's the first word he's ever spoken in his entire life. It's the first time he had a pineapple in his life. Like, oh, my God. And every time that happens, it's the first time. That is fascinating. Now, the thing is, we don't recognize often our spiritual rebirth. Because the difference for us is that you already lived life before you became a Christian. But did you, do you realize that the first time you did something after your rebirth in Christ was the first time you did that as a Christian? Because you learned a bunch of stuff before you became a Christian. And you did a bunch of stuff before you became a Christian. But after you go through that significant event of baptism, and I'm talking about your spiritual baptism more than the physical one. The physical one is a symbol of what happened in your heart first, that you died, that you were reborn in Christ. You put your faith in Christ and you're reborn in him. And from that moment, the next time you said something was the first time as a Christian that you said it. The next time you thought something was the first time as a Christian that you thought it. See, many of us didn't realize that. And so we just thought it's a continuation of my old life. I'm still living in my old life and I'm trying to fix it. I already know how to walk. I'm just getting better at walking. I already know how to live. I'm just getting better at living. I already know how to think. I'm just getting better at thinking. That's what we thought Christianity was. But what Paul says is, no. There is a discontinuity. There is a continuity, obviously, but there's also a discontinuity between what was your old life and what is meant to be your completely transformed new life where you thought you knew what it was to walk. But in Christ, walking is different. You thought you know what it was to have relationships, but in Christ, having a relationship is different. You thought you know what it was to think and to reason, but in Christ, thinking and reasoning is different. Do you realize that to be in Christ is to be completely new? That's what Christ offers us. That's what Christ teaches us. That's what it means to be in him. Now let's read on this passage, verse 6. It says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will, that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And I said, we have followed in the footsteps of Christ. We've been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20 says something similar. 
the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So when you are new in Christ, you're no longer enslaved to sin. You no longer have to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So we've been set free from rebellion. We've been set free from the compulsion, even if we don't desire to, to continue to sin. Death no longer has dominion over us. And he speaks of death, and he says, you know, because when you live only in the physical body, death is what you fear most. But when you live in Christ, death is no fear to you. In fact, death is something you welcome. Because after this life is over, you get to spend eternity with Jesus. That's rest. That's retirement. That's the end. That's the best. That's paradise. So death is not something we fear. Jesus died once, and now he lives forever. We're going to die once, and we're going to live forever. And so he says here, you, mu- you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Here's the second point. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive in Christ. Consider yourself. Now, this word consider doesn't mean to think about. It is to reckon. Right? It is to vol- volitionally act, to, to step into belief that you are dead to sin and you are alive in Christ. This is what God invites us into repeatedly, not a new morality, Or I should say, not simply a new morality. Not simply, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. Because what he in fact says is, you're not under law anymore. It's not about just law. It's about the new you that has been created in Christ. The old you is dead. The new you is alive. Now, so part of this, the idea of killing sin in us, to actively put sin to death in us. This is another theological term we use for this, mortification. Okay. Um, You know, the word means to, you know, mortify, to kill or subdue. And in a biblical context, to mortify is to subdue or kill sin through self-denial and discipline. These are kinds of the things that we think about. And um, I think there's a couple ways, okay, that, we, that this passage, in fact, speaks to, that we think about mortification and, and a couple reasons, I would say, that we don't do it. Okay. Um, one reason is that we are trying to, or, or one way, I should say, that we try to get out of this idea of mortification is that we are trying to deny the diagnosis. Right? We say, I'm not that bad, and I don't need help.
And this is why often our transformation in Christ feels stalled. Because you're like gone through the transformation and you're supposed to be the butterfly, but you still act like the caterpillar. And even though you're a butterfly living like a caterpillar and somebody says, why are you doing that? You say, don't worry about it. I got it. Right? Like I have this under control. You don't want to submit to the things that will help you realize who you are and how you're supposed to be living. Um, so I was, I was, I, I stumbled upon this thing where, um, like how African Bushmen find water. I don't know if you guys have seen this, right? But it's like, uh, it's like, uh, so what they do apparently is, um, they'll find an ant heap. You know, it's like a big, it's a, it's a, you know, it's an ant thing, you know, you know, where the, like an ant hill. Right, except, I guess, I don't know, this is like in South Africa or something, the, this big ant heap thing is like really solid. It's almost like rock. It's not rock, but, you know, it's dirt, but then it's like really solid, right? And, uh, you know, the, the, the guy will come, and he has like a little spear type thing, and he'll wait until a baboon is watching him, because apparently baboons are very curious. So the baboon will be watching him, and he will bore a hole, in this antip, and then he'll grab a bunch of melon seeds and he'll stick the melon seeds into the hole. And the baboon is watching this the whole time and then the bushman will walk away. You know, he'll leave and he'll kind of watch from a distance because baboons will be very suspicious of people. And so once the, the guy is gone, the baboon is just watching, just staring at the hole. And he's wondering what is in the hole. Right? And so... No matter what, okay, the, and this is, this is like a documentary, right? So they're like, no matter what, the baboon will eventually go to the hole and stick his hand in the hole and grab the melon seeds. And then the bushman will just casually walk up to the baboon, right? And the video of this is like, the baboon's going crazy. He's like, ah, going crazy, right? Trying to get, get away, but he can't because he's holding on to the melon seeds, so his hand is stuck in the hole. And all he has to do is let go, right? But then he doesn't. He's just like going crazy as he is being like captured, right? Not enslaved. So he's like captured. He's captured and then, you know, eventually what happens is the bushman gives him salt, right? Which makes him really thirsty. And then the baboon will go find water and the bushman will just follow him. And that's how he finds water. Now, it's crazy because like we're just like the baboon, right? Because we're there, and we're watching this whole thing unfold, and we know what's happened before. We know what, what, what this is. Like, we're a baboon, except this has happened many times to us. We know what's in the hole already. But then we think, maybe it'll be different this time. Maybe it won't be melon seeds, right? Like, maybe somehow I can stick my hand in there and grab it and pull it out and not get stuck this time. And then we do it. And then it happens. Because this is, you know, if you're like a conspiracy theorist, right? <laughs> you're like, oh, there's like a, there's grand conspiracies everywhere. You know, there's conspiracies in the government. You know, there's conspiracies in like, you know, in the world and like, I don't know, aliens, whatever. You know, um, 
like the economy, you know, the, the whole economic system, which I'm kind of prone to think is kind of a big conspiracy. You know, but like there's all these things, right? And, and some people think like, oh, that's crazy. I mean, whether there are or not, who really cares? I'll tell you, there is one great conspiracy, though. It's the whole world conspires against you because Satan is in charge of it. Like, do you realize that? The prince of the world, prince of this air, that's Satan. So everybody that's not like following Jesus, right, is basically kind of a tool of Satan, whether they know it or not. And especially not people, but, but things that happen, programs, you know, systems that are created, they are constantly trying to convince us to just stick our hand in the hole one more time. Just do it one more time. It'll be different this time. I promise. I know you've put your faith in money before, but it'll be different this time. You know, I know you put your faith in a job before, in a career before, but it'll be different this time. I know you put your faith in a relationship before, but it will be different this time. The world has the game rigged. You cannot win this game. The money, success, influence game. Like, I just need a little bit more in the bank. I just need a little bit bigger place. I just need a few more friends. I just need, like, I just need a little bit more of this and a little bit more of that, and I'll be good. You can't win that game. That game is rigged. Like any addict, you will go for a bigger and bigger hit, and it will do less and less for you. And for some of us, that's, like, very literally true because we're addicted to something. But for some of us, the hit is not like a drug, right? For some of us, the hit is like a car. So you don't, you don't realize it's a hit. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a house. You know, it's a person. So you don't realize that that's what you're addicted to. You don't realize that that's what you're going back to time and time and time again. But the game's rigged. We're playing the same game The world is. We're playing by the same rules. We have the same goals. We have the same beliefs. We have the same values. We go to work for the same reason. We create and break relationships under the same terms. We have the same contracts. We have the same deals. Everything. What we do, for many of us, even though we're in Christ, we operate exactly the same as the world. Except, guess what? We are worse at the game than the world is. They're going to beat us at that game every single time because if you are in Christ, you have one foot in that game and then you have one foot in a totally different game. But living like that makes you suck at both games. So you don't feel good. And so when the people in the world look at us, they're like, you're just like me, just not as successful. You're just like me. You just don't have as much money as me. You're just like me. You just don't, you're just not as committed to work as I am because you waste time on weekends at church. See, Jesus came to show us that the only real way to win this game is to not play this game. Get out of the game. This game doesn't work. We're supposed to be playing a completely different game. When somebody looks at you, they should think, what game are you playing? Like, I want to play that game. 
Because you seem to not care about any of the things that I care about. Because I care about upward mobility. Because I care about what my name is and what people look at me and see in this company. Because I care about the way people think of me and treat me. Because that's what I care about. I care about people respecting me. Because I care about making a name for myself. Because I care about not being taken advantage of. Like these are very important to me. This is the game. I want comfort. You know, I want nice vacations. I want nice things in my house. These are the things I care about. And I'm not saying you can't care about those things at all. But I'm saying if you make those things what the game is about, then you have positioned yourself to lose. Because guess what? In the world, the people who are losing the game are losing. And the people who are winning the game, the uber rich and successful, they're losing too. I read a study the other day. Rich people, miserable. Right? The more money you have, the more depressed you become. You become isolated. You feel alone. You feel guilty. And then you fall victim to like the treadmill effect or the Diderot effect where you feel like you don't have enough. Because when you were poor and you just had one thing, you were happy about it. And then you get rich and you have like 10 things and you're not happy about it. Everyone in the world is losing that game. Jesus said... I want you to get into a different game where you can have happiness regardless of all that, irregardless of whatever else is happening in your life. You can be living on scraps. You can be in jail. You can be lost at sea. You can be killed. You can be decapitated. You can be thrown into a fire. Doesn't matter. You can be at war. You can be at peace. You can be exiled out of your country. You can be a wanderer. No home. You can have nothing, and you can feel like you have everything. That's why Paul says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, that's the secret of the game. That's how to win the game. To be in Christ and to be connected to Christ, that, that is the key to happiness. As Spurgeon said, the more you feel that, the more you are invested in that, the direct correlation to happiness, there is a direct correlation there. What Paul is talking about is not something to learn how to do. It's not a skill to tap into. It's a person, Jesus. Paul knows the secret of being in Christ. Some of us don't believe the diagnosis. But I'll tell you, If you look deep inside, you do believe it. Because you know the history of your life, and you know what tons of people have said. The most uber successful people, they have testified to this truth. Now, the other thing is, some don't believe the diagnosis. I think the other reason, sometimes, we don't step into this. Dying. Right, putting to death sin 
and being alive in Christ, considering to be in Christ's life, is that we don't believe the cure. So we don't believe that actually spending time with Jesus, because that sounds too easy, right? Like, let's be honest. Like When I say something like, spend time in the Word and pray, and you'll be happier, you're like, come on, man, that's so... Like, that's some, that's some church BS, and that's just some trite, like, you know, l- like, that's just cliche. Now, I'll, I'll always follow that up with, do you do it? And your answer will always be no, right? Because if you did it, you'd believe it. Only when you don't do it, you don't believe it. I've had, I've had hundreds of conversations like that, right? Maybe thousands. Like, I've had many, 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 many conversations like that. Anytime anybody tells me that something in their life's going wrong, I always ask them, are you in the Word? A bunch of you guys know that because I say that to you all the time. And oftentimes the answer is no. I'm not saying 100% of the time. Look, things go wrong in our lives. I'm not saying you're supposed to be happy-go-lucky like all the time and everything's just supposed to be chill. Like, no, that's not, that's not true. But generally speaking, if Paul can go through, like, the stuff that he went through and still say, I have joy in Christ, I'm pretty sure we can, we can handle some of our stuff better if we were grounded in the faith. At some point, right, you got to realize that day, whenever I was reborn in Jesus, that was, that was the first day of my new life. Right, and you just got to be like, you know what? I just, haven't, I just haven't been walking this way. Like, I've still been living under my old way. And I never recognized it. I never said, you know what? I really have to just completely change now. Because it does take that to be able to step into that faith. All of us know that. Like, you, you grow and change over time. Right? Like, I used to, I used to love... Um, like, all you can eat buffets, right? Like, when I was in, like, high school and college, when I, like, <laughs> you know, played sports regularly and, like, had a high metabolism, like, I'd just be like, ah, oh, yeah, man, this is the best. Like, that's, it's, it's pretty cheap, you know, relatively for what I'm eating. It's very cheap. And, um, you know, it's great. I can just, like, I can just eat a ton. You know, it's, like, good food. I, I would just go eat all-you-can-eat sushi. Like, I would chase down all-you-can-eat sushi and, like, all-you-can-eat, you know, meat, you know, whatever, like, all the time. Right, and then, you know, but now, like, I don't do that, right? Like, I never do that. And even if I go to, like, Sioux Plantation, I got to be careful. I'm like, you know, I don't want to eat too much. <laughs> like, this is just, there's so much, this, there's too much stuff here. You know, because, like, like, now, it's like I've changed. And I prefer, you know, like, quality over quantity. And I, and I think, actually think about, like, well, how am I going to feel after this? You know, oftentimes, like, when I eat dinner, a lot of times, I don't even think about, like, what I'm eating. I'm thinking, you know what happens after dinner is, like, I have to get on the floor and play with the kids. And, you know, they're going to be running around. And, like, when they play with me, it's different than when they, they play with Boomy. When they play with Boomy, they're like, you know, Amma, let's read a book or something, right? And then when they play with me, they're like, yeah, you know, it's war. And they're just, like, hitting me over the head. I sit down for five seconds. They're like, get up, get up, get up, get up, like, constantly. And, like, I'm like, okay, I guess this is, this is what it's like to be a dad. The kids recognize the difference, you know, just inherently they can just feel that. And I have to think about that. 
Like, well, if I eat too much, I'm going to have food coma, then I'm not going to be able to do that. And so, like, you know, you just kind of think about stuff like that. Just think about, like, consequences. Like, you grow up. You think about your life. You know, you can think, I can think now beyond the 30-minute meal. Because that's all I thought about before. Like, just the enjoyment of the actual seconds that I would be eating. I wouldn't think about afterwards, nor would I, nor was I on a budget, and I would think about how that would affect me, you know, financially, nor did I think about my health, you know, or anything. Like, I didn't think about any of that stuff. I just thought about in the moment, what in this moment, right in front of my face right now, is going to make me the happiest. And that's how Micah thinks. That's how Josiah thinks. But I can't think like that. I don't want to think like that. I don't want that to be my life. This frenetic pace of chasing after the momentary happiness of seconds. No, I want I want to look back at the end of the year and think, man, what a what a great year. Like I read the Bible this year. That was amazing. You know, look at how much I've been able to grow and just, like, spend time with God. Like, look at my kid. I'm thankful. I don't want to (laughs) be so chained to every second. That's what Jesus wants for you. Like, he wants your desires to be tuned correctly so that you can be happy. Not happy because you're addicted to something. You're happy because every hit makes you happy. He wants you to be happy about your, your life. Like happy about your day. To have deep joy, that elusive joy. The thing that you feel is missing when you're running around, you know, like a chicken with its head cut off, like just doing whatever. If you're a believer, you know it. You've experienced it. The most essential part of that is daily stepping into actually connecting with him, connecting with Jesus. You're in Christ. Now, by way of application, real quick, just before I close. As I would say, be in Christ. Now, I know because that's a huge term and it can mean so many things or the definition of it is expansive. But I would say this because I do hope, like for many of us, I know that some of you are committed to like reading the word and to praying and to kind of stepping into discipleship. I would say even beyond that, right? Please do that, I would say for one. But even beyond that, be in Christ. Like be present in the moments you have with Jesus. Even here, right, when you come to church, because this is a time where, this, this is a rare opportunity I hope you recognize. Only once a week do you get this opportunity. To spend time with Jesus like this, this extended time in community, where you actually don't have to do anything else. Like, this is what this time is for. Being here, hearing the word, that's what this time is for. Like, you shouldn't be thinking like, oh, what else I have to do, or what else is going No, because you're doing what you're supposed to be doing right now. You're not taking away from anything else. You've set this time aside for this. 
to hear the word, to be in community, to pray, to worship. Like when we sing songs of worship, this is one of the things I think is so powerful because I can't worship by myself at home. I mean, I can, but it's not as good, you know, for one thing. And it's just like not the same, right? Like I can't, I can't do that. I can listen to a, a, you know, I can listen to a song or something, or I could play my guitar, but it's not like, it's not being with God's people to worship like this. Like every moment that, like that you have, maybe there are only a few moments, and that's fine if that's where you're at, but take advantage of those moments. Like we're about to worship right now. Be in Christ. Be connected to Christ. And maybe you don't know if you're connected to Christ. You don't know if you're in Christ. That's okay. I would say, in fact, that's why God has you here. Talk to him about that. Just ask him. Think, meditate on your heart. Like, where are you at? Do you really feel like the world's game is working out for you? Or do you feel like there's, there's something better? There's something greater that the creator has created us to be. Let's do that today. Let's do that this week. Let's strive to do that really every day throughout our lives. Let's pray together. God, I just, I thank you so much, God, because, I mean, you know, it's like we know, God. It's like we know that the the game that the world puts out. We know, we feel, God, that it's, it's not one we can win. It's one that has been rigged against us so that we are chasing our tail, God, so that we are spinning our wheels. And the harder we feel like we're stepping on the gas, God, the more we feel like we're not going anywhere. And we thank you so much, God, that you are gracious to bring us to you. To be reminded, that game... That's, that's not one that you created us to play, God. That's not the one you want us to be in. Where money and status and comfort, God, where these are the things that dictate our lives. And we feel like we never have enough and we're always feeling empty and we're always feeling tired. We're always feeling judged and alone, God. That's not the game. Jesus, you came to change the game. You came to put us in a completely different game, God. One that you've won for us already. One that at the end of it, you're not going to count how many bills we have. You're not going to count what's in our bank account or what we did or who thought what of us, God. You're going to remind us that you have always loved us that you have always drawn us to yourself, that you justify us, that you heal us, that you kill our old selves, that you, in you we are born anew and we have this wonderful, deep, peace-filling joy, God, that, that enters into our hearts and that we can enjoy with you every day. God, that's what you give us access to. You give us yourself. Let us step into that today. Let us, Holy Spirit, give us power to step into that every day. We entrust it to you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.